two. There you go. Now you can hear me. We've got some people hard of hearing, so I'm doing this for them. Amen? I'm one of them. That's why I feel for them. All right. Oh, this book was written by the Apostle Paul from a prison cell in Rome. And uh, to the Philippian believers, but every word that's written in this book is still applicable uh, to you and I uh, today. And so we, we take up our study today in chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 18 is where we'll be at. And we've already seen as we've been studying this passage of Scripture that the believers here are really being challenged to behave themselves. Um, and part of what that looks like, as we saw at the beginning of the chapter, is that we need to get along with each other. We need to operate together in unity, and then we need to, we need to take after the example of Jesus in exercising humility toward each other and toward the people that are in this world. And as we saw last week, ultimately God is desiring that we would allow Him to work in us so that he can work through us to live lives that are pleasing to God. And so now the Bible actually goes on and begins to tell us what it looks like when we're living this way. When we're letting God work in us and work out of us his good pleasure, this is what that looks like. Starting in verse 14, this is what the Bible says. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me." And so he begins to write these words, and what is, I believe, so beautifully communicated to us in this passage of Scripture is this simple truth. The Christian life is a life, is, is not a life that you have to endure. It's supposed to be a life that you get to enjoy. It's a difference. We're going to see what that looks like as we unpack this passage of Scripture. You know, the Lord Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He told us in John chapter 15 that He has come so that His joy might remain in us and so that our joy might be full. That's what happens when you've got Jesus in your life. You've got Jesus. You ought to have a life that's filled with joy. Sad reality is not where a lot of Christians are at today, is it? Certainly not where this world is at today. But the world aside for a minute, let's just talk about you and I as Christians. God's desire is that our lives would exhibit an evident joy and a genuine joy. Would you say that's how your life could be described today? As a life of joy? I would say for most Christians that is not the case today. R.B. Ouellette stood in this pulpit and he told a story one time during one of our revivals how he had gone to a restaurant one day in town, I believe, Cortez. And he was talking to one of the waitresses and he was talking with the waitress. He said, what, what day is your favorite day to work of the week? Thinking it would be Sunday. And he mentioned a different day. And so well, why not Sunday? And she said, oh, I hate working on Sundays. Well, why do you hate working on Sundays? Well, that's, that's because that's when all the grumpy, stingy church people come in. <laughs> Whoa. I'd say there's probably some truth to what she's saying. A lot of times, we who say that we have this wonderful thing in our life, Jesus, that has changed our life and should have a reason for joy, we can be some of the most downright unhappy and grumpy people around. 
That's not how it ought to be. 2008, after the great uh, recession that took place earlier in this century, uh, it is uh, a matter of fact that there were over 4,000 books that were published on the subject of happiness. Something people are looking for today. Tell you, I can tell you where you'll find it. You don't need to look any for, further than the Word of God. <laughs> Read your Bible, you'll find out everything you need to know about how to have joy and true joy, not just, not just this false happiness. See, the Bible tells us that happiness depends on what happens. Joy is found only in Jesus, regardless of what happens, regardless of what your circumstance is. And so, wouldn't you like to know how to live the joyful Christian life? I dare say as we look at this passage, there'll be some areas that God will reveal to you that'll help you grow in understanding how to truly live with joy as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so in our text, we are presented here with four choices that you can make that will enable you to live the joyful Christian life. And I want you to look at these four choices with me this morning. Number one, if you're taking notes, the first choice you need to make is the choice to refuse. You need to choose to refuse some things. And so, carrying on with the context, if you desire to work out the joy that Jesus has begun to work in your heart, you must first choose to refuse the things in your life that would steal that joy. Make no mistake about it, there are joy stealers in every one of our lives. Things that can rob us of the joy that Jesus alone can place within our heart. And specifically in verse 14, there are two vices that we are told to refuse. Look at verse 14 with me. The Bible says, do all things without what? Murmurings, plural, and disputings, plural. And so notice this. The verse preceding this, verse 13, which we studied last week, we were told that God is enabling us to desire and to do what pleases Him. And now here in verse 14, what we are essentially told is, start doing it. God says, I'm working in you to help you do what I want. So start doing it. Execute it. Carry it out. And part of that execution, as we see in this verse, is that the Bible tells us we are to do everything that we do without certain things. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That word without, it literally means that we are to do them separated from certain things. Our life is, uh, as we live our lives, we're to do so separate from certain types of things. And specifically here in this verse, these vices are mentioned for us. Let's look at them. What are the vices we're to separate our lives from? What, what, what are we to remove from our life so that we can truly live a life of joy for Jesus? First thing the Bible says we're to refuse is we're to refuse to complain. Refuse to complain. That's what the Bible says there. Do all things without what? Murmurings. Now the word murmuring uh, is a Greek word that literally means a muttering of discontent. That's my favorite def definition, okay? A muttering of discontent. And let's, let's face it, okay? All of us can struggle with this just a little bit. It's essentially complaining. That's what the Bible is talking about here. And uh, you've probably heard this story before, but I'll tell it anyways. I heard a story about a man who decided he wanted to be a monk, and so he took a vow of silence. And the rules of this was he was only allowed to say two words every ten years. Took this vow of silence, and after the first ten years passed, the, the leader of the monastery there pulled him up, and he was allowed to say his two words, and he stood there in front of everyone, and he said, Bed hard. 
And then he, had, then he went back to another 10 years, a vow of silence. And after the next 10 years passed, he got up in front of everybody, and the leader of the monastery there, and he said his two words, food bad. <laughs> 10 years passes. Again, he stands up in front of the monastery after those 10 years of silence, and he says another two words, and he said, I quit. <laughs> and the leader of the monastery, he looked at him and said, well, I could see this coming. I saw this coming for a long time. All you've been doing for 30 years is complaining. <laughs> now, maybe it's not that bad for you, but I think that, honestly, if you look at your life, most of us don't look, as, look at complaining as sin, but it is. In fact, it's a, it's a sin that really grieves the heart of God in a very real way. And I would say that for many of us, complaining is not just something we struggle with. For many of us, it's become a habit of life. We just grumble complain about everything, especially as Americans who are so blessed and have really little to complain about if we compare ourselves to other people around this world. And yet, because we are so blessed, we find so many reasons yet still to complain. And what a sad testimony that is. Rice said that complaining is the express desire to change something outside of my own control. Think about this. All this world here is complaining. People go to work and then grumble about the job. You go around to the, to the store and what do people want to talk about? Well, they want to grumble about politics. You turn on the news and it's all negative and it's all complaining and uh, this person's fault for this problem and, and all of these, our, our lives are consumed with complaining. So to have a child of God who's actually joyful and grateful, that's different. That's significant. That's the type of life that you and I are called to live. We refuse an attitude of murmuring or complaining. And uh, you want to know how you can choose joy in your life today? Stop your grumbling, right? Or like somebody put it to me one time, stop your belly aching, okay? Uh, and by the way, the cure to a grumbling spirit is a grateful spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, uh, the Bible says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It will never not be the will of God for you to be thankful. That's always in God's will. It'll never be the will of God for you to be grumbling and complaining. And so, hey, we need to refuse complaining. By the way, you may look at, you may hear some of the plans today for this build campaign, and you think, well, I wouldn't have built it that way. Well, I don't have this kind of room in that, in that building. I don't like how the auditorium's positioned. Well, I don't like this. Well, I don't, you know what? Why don't we just decide? We're all after the same thing. And maybe if the door's not where you want it to be or the room's not named what you want it to be, okay? Uh, the wall's not painted the color you want it to be. Uh, why don't we just lay some of those superficial things aside and agree that we want to move forward to see more people reach for the cause of Jesus Christ? Amen? We refuse to complain. And then the second thing it says we're to refuse is do all things without murmurings. And what's the second thing? Disputings. We could say here, refuse to be contentious. Refuse to be contentious. That word disputings, dialogismos in the Greek, it means inward reasoning. It talks about this inward reasoning. It speaks of someone who rationalizes and sometimes vocalizes their own ideas in an effort to cause division in the body. That's, that's what this is speaking about. It's just speaking really about someone who's arg argumentative, always wants to cause an issue, someone who's contentious, someone who's always fault-finding. Well, it was, it was better at the church I went to before. Um, well, I, I, I think that we should do it this way, just always trying to find fault. Can I tell you something? Listen to me on this. God hates 
someone tries to cause division in his body. Talked about this earlier at the beginning of the chapter. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19, the Bible says there are six things that the Lord hates, and the seventh is an abomination to him. You know what the seventh one is? That sows discord among the brethren. Abomination to God. Now, you know what else is called an abomination to God? Homosexuality. You look at that and say, well, yeah, that's despicable. God looks at your disruptiveness and your contentiousness and says, that's just as wicked. Understand how serious this is in the eyes of God. And so you will, uh, you will never find a church that you agree with on everything. So you might as well just get over it, okay? You can go ahead and you can travel around. And you can try to find a place you agree with on everything. By the way, uh, I'm glad that I've never been in a church that agrees with, agrees with me on everything. You say, well, you're the pastor. Of course the church agrees with you on everything. That's not true. And uh, uh, well, you'll never find a church you agree with on everything. You won't like every song that's sung. Right? You, won't, you won't like uh, every, every design or every facet of the building or every, every plan that's being set in motion for the future. You won't, you won't even necessarily like every person that goes to the church, okay? Uh, every program. You won't like it all, but that doesn't mean anything because the most important thing and what matters the most is that we are united around the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to be after. So help me out here. I need everybody to stand up. Unless you're not physically able to, just stand up with me, okay? We're going ha- to do a little exercise in unity this morning. All right? Oh, I know. Why are you making me work this morning? Oh, I'm so sorry. All right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to stand there, and I want you to fold your arms like this. Okay? Just fold your arms. All right? Now, as you're standing there, I want you to evaluate something with me. Which hand are you grabbing your bicep with? And which hand is folded under? So you're like, I'm grabbing both of my biceps. <laughs> okay, well, you are really unique, okay? Now, which one is it? How, how, many, how many of you, uh, uh, by lifting your hand, you are right-hand bicep grippers? Okay? How many of you are left-hand bicep grippers? We got a couple left-hand bicep grippers. All right, now, put your hands back down. All right? Now, first it. <laughs> That's hard, isn't it? That doesn't feel right, does it? That's horrible. Like, it just feels so uncomfortable to do that, doesn't it? Am I doing it wrong now? I'm still folding my arms. I'm just doing it the opposite way. I'm a right-hand bicep gripper, and it feels really weird for me to grip my, uh, my left bicep when I'm folding my arms. One right and one wrong. I need to go on a campaign to make sure the whole world becomes right-hand bicep grippers when they're folding their arms. No, not one that's right and one that's wrong. You know what? They're just different. It's different. And sometimes it's not a matter of right and wrong. Sometimes something's just done a little bit different than you're used to it. It might take some time for you to get used to it. As we go through this growth process, we're going to have a lot of new people coming into our church. And as we go, go through this building process, there might be some things that are built or done a little bit different than what you're used to. This isn't how I grew up. Guess what? It's not always a matter of right and wrong. Sometimes it's just different. And what we need to agree together to do as a church is to refuse to complain and refuse to cause issues about things that don't matter. Because we have something we are after, and that's the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, you could be seated. Thanks for humoring me with that illustration there, all right? And uh, hopefully you'll never forget it. Now, (laughs) we see the choice to refuse. Here's the second choice, all right? The second choice you need to make is the choice to reflect, The choice to reflect. When you as a believer choose to let God work in your life, 
what begins to happen is that God begins to work his way out of your life. Or in other words, what we could say is God begins to reflect himself through your life into this world. And that's what's indicated to us uh, will happen in verse number 15. And so let's look at verse 15. The Bible says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see the contrast that's being painted here? The Bible's saying that we as believers are supposed to live different lives. And, and, and it, really, it really sets the stage comparing the lost world with believers in Christ. Look at this lost world. What does it consist of? Well, a bunch of people that are grumbling and complaining and fighting about everything. The believer is supposed to be blameless and harmless. Right? It's supposed to have a spirit of joy. The world is messed up. It's twisted. It's perverted, the Bible tells us. While the Christian stands up straight, they're unmoved by the cultural shifts of truth in our time because they stand on the unchangeable truth of God's word. The world is dark. Believers to shine as a bright light. See the contrast? And the reason why we're different is not because we're better than anybody else in this world. The reason why we're different is because we've got Jesus shining through us. That's the difference. And that's what's supposed to make the difference for us as believers in Christ. And so as a believer, God did not create you to blend in. God created you to stand out. And that's a beautiful thing. And you ought not to be ashamed to stand up for the cause of Christ and to shine out for the cause of Christ. And so, real quickly here, I'll just have to breeze over these. In what ways does God want you to reflect Jesus through your life to this world then? Let me just give you these five statements real quick. First off, by being guiltless, okay? You need to be guiltless. Verse 15, the Bible says that you may be what? Blameless, blameless. Uh, a mephtos in the Greek, it means free from fault. When Jesus stood in front of Pilate and they tried to find fault with him, you know what Pilate said about Jesus? I find no fault in him at all. That's the kind of testimony as we reflect Christ that God wants us to have in this world. And by the way, I'll just say this, the only way that's possible is as we let the Spirit of God work in our hearts to transform our lives to be more like Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you or set you apart for God holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved, what? Blameless, blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As a believer in Christ, you are blameless because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and what's being told to us in this passage of Scripture. Now live like it. Let me work that out of you. Let me help you, let, let me help you come to a place where you have a testimony that no one can find fault with, much like Daniel in the Scriptures. And so first, if we're going to reflect Jesus in this world. It starts with us being guiltless. Number two, then we must be genuine. We must be genuine. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and what? Somebody help me out. Harmless. Harmless, that you may be blameless and harmless. That word harmless, it literally means unmixed. It carries the idea that it was used in everyday conversation for Greeks. They would talk to each other whenever they were talking about pure metal or unalloyed metal. Or whenever they'd talk about wine that was unmixed with water, just pure wine. Anything that was pure and unmixed, uh, that's, that's the idea behind this word. So it's a word that means pure or, or genuine, the real deal. Or, or we could say it means innocent. What the Bible's telling us here is that we're to 
uh, be pure in this world. We're, we're to be simple or genuine in this world. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 19, the same word is used to encourage Christians to be simple concerning evil, to be, uh, to be innocent concerning evil. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this plug in here. Because I was homeschooled and admittedly a little bit sheltered, okay, uh, oftentimes throughout the years, so a conversation has come up and somebody's been talking about something, and I had no idea what they're talking about. Well, I've, I've been taunted and mocked for a lot, of, a lot of things because I didn't know about them. Maybe a secular song starts playing or, uh, or, 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 or a slang term or something along those lines, and I never heard of it. Uh, now, on this side, of, this side of things, I'm so thankful for that, by the way, and I'm thankful for my upbringing. You know, that literally is the general idea that's being communicated to us here. To be just simple or innocent or, or, or genuine uh, 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 in, in, the, in this matter of your, your, your disposition in this world. And the fact of the matter is, God wants us to be so consumed with what's good, we don't really know about all the evil stuff in this world. I don't know what the latest TV show is, okay? I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, I don't know about a lot of the things that are going on in this world because I'm just trying to live for Christ, and that stuff doesn't matter. And so that's the general idea of what's being said. And so you need to be genuine. You need to be guiltless if you're going to reflect Christ in this world. The third thing that's mentioned here is that you need to be godly. You need to be godly. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. God wants you, in other words, to live like you're his child. Now, praise God, the moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you became a son of God. John chapter 1, and verse 12, the Bible says that as many as received Jesus, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. And what a privilege it is to be adopted into the family of God if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. When I was a kid, I grew up in Leroy Burkett's house. And Leroy Burkett made sure and taught me what it meant to be a part of the Burkett family. And so when I got older, anytime I'd go play a, a, a sports game or anytime I'd go over to a friend's house, I'd never forget it. My, if my, my dad said it to me one time, he said it to me a hundred times. He said, son, you're a Burkett. Don't you forget it. You go play like a Burkett. You act like a Burkett when you're at that person's house. And I, I knew what he meant by that. I also knew what would be the consequence if I didn't listen to what he said. All right? God essentially is saying to us here is, you're my child. Live like it now act like it. Ephesians 5 and verse number 8, the Bible says, for you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Now act like you're my children. That's what he's essentially saying there. And so be godly. That's how we reflect Christ, by living as children of God. The fourth thing that's mentioned to us here is that we need to be good. Good. Verse number 15, the Bible says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, and then it says, without rebuke. Uh, uh, that's a Greek word that literally means without spot or without defect. Uh, and what it literally implies is that there ought to be no impurities or defections in your life that would, that would dim your light or keep your light from shining for Christ as brightly as it should be. And so when others look at your life, what they should see is someone who reminds them of Jesus. Not a feigned goodness, but a real goodness. A goodness that comes from Jesus working out uh, some things in your life. And uh, listen to me, the New Testament Christians, the Bible tells us that they weren't always known as Christians, that they came to be known as Christians because people in the world looked at their life and they took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus. 
Christian means the Christ-like ones. And the reason they were given that name was because when the world looked at those believers in the New Testament, they, they were reminded of Jesus. And that's how our lives are supposed to be, to reflect Jesus Christ and so be good. Uh, a lot of times when an unbeliever looks at a believer and sees someone who's argumentative, always causing issues, someone who is secular in their mindset, consumed with the world and running with the world and drinking with the world and, and, and just fits right into the world. A lot of times when an unbeliever sees that and a believer, they look at that and they think, why would I want what you have? You don't have anything different than what I have. There is supposed to be a difference, and the difference isn't our conformity to an outward set of standards. The difference is we've got Jesus, and Jesus is changing our lives. And that, that becomes an obvious thing. And so be good. The, 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 the last thing we see here that the Bible tells us we're supposed to do is that we're supposed to be shining, glowing. We're supposed to be shining. Verse number 15, the Bible says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so we are to let God enable us to be all these things ultimately so that we can shine brightly in the darkness of this world. You know it as well as I do. The world is a very dark, messed up place, isn't it? The Bible says, it describes the world here in verse 15. It says that it's a crooked place. That means it's unfair or it's wicked. And it says it's a perverse place. That means it's twisted. It's messed up. It's perverted. I don't have to describe to you how messed up this world is. All right? You see it every day just like I do. I could give you illustration after illustration, but you don't need it. You understand it as well as I do. How messed up this world is. Can I tell you what God has not called us to do in the midst of this messed up world is to isolate ourselves from it. What God has called us to do is to illuminate Jesus Christ to this lost world. This and this dark world is desperately needed for Christians to shine the light of Jesus Christ brighter and brighter. That's why Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And can I tell you something? When I think about this new building that, uh, that we are proposing we begin to build, this building we intend to be a lighthouse to shine the light of Jesus Christ a little bit brighter into the darkness of this world. Wait, we don't have to wait until we get the building built to do it. We're going to keep on doing it right here. Whether or not God ever lets us do that, we're going to keep shining the light of Christ till Jesus comes. Amen? That's what God calls us to do. He wants us to be reflectors of himself in this world. When Jesus was in the world, he was the light of the world. When he, when he left this world, now he said, you are the light of the world. And it's our responsibility to allow Jesus to shine through our lives. And boy, there's a lot of joy that comes when you let Jesus shine through your life and impact other people. Do you want to have the joyful Christian life? There's a, there's, you need to make the choice to refuse some things. You need to make the choice to reflect the light of Christ in this world. The third choice I want you to see that you need to make is the choice to reveal. Choice to reveal. So as you choose to reflect Jesus through your life, here's the wonderful thing about it. It gives you the opportunity to reveal the truth of Jesus. I want you to see what the Bible tells us about this in verse 16. Verse 16 of uh, Philippians 2, the Bible says that we are to hold, be holding forth the word of life. The Bible says you're to be holding forth word. The literal idea behind that Greek word, which is epeko, it means that you are to present or you are to hold out the word 
of life. You know what, you know what that looks like, holding out the word? Right? Dawson, why don't you stand up for me? Right? Here's what it looks like. It's literally what the Bible's talking about. To hold out the word to other people. And I'm going to tell you something. It's always a beautiful thing when God works in somebody's heart in a service. Or I, I, we're out soul winning somewhere. I look over and I see somebody holding out the word to somebody. Showing them how they can know Jesus as their Savior. So that's what God's telling us to do. We're to hold out the word of life. And guess what? It's not just any word that we're holding out. <laughs> what the Bible says we're to hold out is the word of life, all right? That's the logos za'e, the very words of true life all this world has to offer in all of its psychology and all of its education and all of its systems and all of its programs, it still comes short of being able to answer life's most important questions. We have the most important answers to life's most important questions. We have the word of life. It's not just any word. It's God's word. These are the words of salvation to lost and perishing souls. These are the words of deliverance to people who are in bondage to their sin. These are the words of light to those who are lost in darkness. These are the words of life to men that are dead in their trespasses and sins. Hey, we have the word of life that we get to shine. I'm going to tell you something. We ought to be shining it brighter and brighter. And as we allow Jesus to be reflected through our life, people see somebody that's different. And they come, and the idea is it gives us the platform and the opportunity to be able to say, when they come to us and say, why are you different? Why are you so happy? We get to hold forth the word of life and tell them, this is why. Jesus, he's done in my life. He's made all the difference in the world. I'll tell you this building is not about more people into a to a structure. This isn't about um, uh, some kind of uh, man-made institution or program or, or man glorification. That's not what this is about. We are looking to continue to move forward as a church so that we have a bigger platform to shine a brighter light to reach more people so that they can be brought in and we'll be able to hold forth the word of life and tell them Jesus saves. And we'll be able to hold forth the word of life and show them how they can grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. Holding forth the word of life. I wonder, friend, are you holding forth God's word in your life? Are you living a life that's reflective of Christ and getting the opportunities to share with other people? What a wonderful change in your life has been wrought since Jesus came into your heart. That's what God wants us to do. I, I'm going to tell you something. There, you will not experience more joy on this side of eternity. You will not experience more joy on this side of eternity and leading someone else to faith in Jesus Christ. I remember the first time I got to lead someone to the Lord. I was about 10 or 11 years old, and I had just been taught the Romans Road, and we had practiced it in our Sunday school class, and we had a, we had a class activity. And I remember this young man was there, and my Sunday school teacher, when he raised his hand and said he wanted to be saved, looked at me said, Bruce, I want you to talk to him. Now, he sat with me, okay, and I'm sure he helped me a lot um, through that whole process. But, man, I remember taking him through the verses and explaining the gospel uh, to that young man. And I don't remember what his name is. I don't know who he is, but it was a beautiful thing when that, uh, when that young, young man, a visitor in our Sunday school class, bowed his head and prayed and trust Jesus Christ as a Savior. I went home, and I had a friend come over to my house that night, and I'll tell you, we didn't want to play video games. We didn't want to play basketball. We wanted to study our Bibles that night because we wanted to win more people to Jesus. 
I'm telling you, it was the, it was the best feeling in all the world. And, 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 and I still haven't gotten over it every time I get to lead someone to the Lord. But when you get to hold forth the word of life and it makes a difference in someone's life, there's nothing better than that. I fill your heart with such joy. How you can live the joyful Christian life? Four choices. There's the choice to refuse. There's the choice to reflect. There's the choice to reveal. And the final choice I want you to see is the choice to rejoice. The choice to rejoice. Now, I know we're out of time. I'm going to be uh, as quick with this as I can. But listen to me. And this is probably the most significant part of the message for us today. Look with me at verse number 16. The Bible says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may what? Rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause do ye joy and rejoice together with me. It seems repetitive. It talks about joying and rejoicing. It keeps talking about He's going to joy and rejoice, and it seems like they're the same thing, and it seems repetitive for me to say, here's how you can choose to have a joyful Christian life, rejoice. It seems repetitive to say that, but they're not exactly the same thing. And I want you to see before we're done that there are three circumstances in which God says you can choose to rejoice. The first one, write this down, is this. You can rejoice in your strenuous struggles can rejoice in your struggles. That's what the Bible says in verse 16. Paul said there, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And so Paul was saying here, that if the believers chose to do what he was asking them to do, it would give him more reason to rejoice. That means it would give him more reason to glorify God at the final judgment because of their choice to do those things. Why? Why would it give him more reason to rejoice? Well, here's why. Because if the people that he had reached went on to live for God and reach other people, that would mean something. And he tells us what it would mean. In verse 16, he said, it will mean that I haven't run in vain. What he's literally saying there is, it will mean that I have not spent all my strength running as hard as I could for nothing, that it all meant something, that all the hardness and all the struggle and all the toil, it was for something. It made a difference for eternity. And I'm telling you, he said, if you will live out the truth that I'm trying to communicate to you, you are going to fill my heart with joy because it means everything that I have done has been for a purpose and it's made a difference for the cause of Christ in eternity. It'll mean I have not run in vain. And then he says it'll mean that I have not labored in vain. Labored in vain, it literally means to work until you become weary. To work until you're just worn out. And it describes how Paul was living his life. He was giving it all he had. And he's saying if you'll live out this truth and if you'll follow Christ as I'm challenging you to, fill my heart with joy. Because all of this will have been for something. Let's just be honest. Living for God is hard at times. Ministry, hard sometimes. The Bible doesn't teach a wealth, health, and prosperity gospel. What it does teach is that all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's just downright hard living for God sometimes. Is it worth it? People are reached. Lives are changed. Your meager efforts, worth it. That so in tears shall reap in joy. That goes forth and weeps, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless coming again, rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I'm going to encourage you today, today Christian. Yes, uh, as we go about this building process, I have no doubt that we're going to get tired. 
I have no doubt that there'll be, there'll be some late nights that some of us are going to spend putting up drywall and doing different things. And I have no doubt that uh, 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 as we give sacrificially to the Lord and we do without some things, that sometimes it's going to get hard and sometimes we're going to want to ask the question, is it worth it? Encourage you what what the book of Galatians says. Be not weary in well-doing. In due season you shall reap if you faint not. Every soul that's saved, their life that's transformed will remind us it's worth it. Joy that comes. You can rejoice in your struggles. The second thing he talks about here you can rejoice in is in your sacrificial service. Verse 17, the Bible says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Paul uses um, symbolic language here. And what he's referencing back to when he says, If I offer up my life up as as a sacrifice and service of your faith, what he's referring to is the Old Testament drink offering. How many of you have ever heard of that before? The drink offering. We don't have very many in here today, and so let me explain what it is very briefly. The drink offering was something that the the Hebrew people in the Old Testament were commanded to bring along with their animal sacrifices. And so they would offer up their animal sacrifice on the altar, which was a picture of Jesus Christ, and then they would have this wine that they would bring. And after the sacrifice had been slaughtered and burned on the altar to take that wine as a last part of their worship and pour it out on the, on the altar. The wine was a picture of? Wine was a picture of joy in the Old Testament. By the way, the bigger the sacrifice or the more significant the sacrifice, the more the measure of their drink offering was supposed to be. What that teaches us is this. The greater your sacrifice for the Lord, the greater the measure of your joy. The more you sacrifice for the Lord, the more reason you'll have to joy in the Lord. So what Paul is essentially saying here is that he is looking at his life as being this drink offering. His life is being poured out as a sacrificial service of worship to God for the benefit of the faith of the believers. And in this, Paul is teaching us an important principle, and don't miss this. Sacrifice is the way to true joy. I wouldn't like to hear that. I think it's interesting in a verse, in a couple of verses where Paul is talking about sacrifice and offering himself up as a sacrifice and, and, and suffering. He's talking about all these difficult things. And what does he keep talking about along with it? Joy, rejoicing. It doesn't make sense. Why is there joy? Why is there rejoicing in our sufferings and in our sacrifices? Because it's all worth it. And because it's all for the Lord. It's all done as an act of worship to the Lord. And so sacrifice is the way to joy. And let me tell you something. You can rejoice in every sacrificial act of service and giving that you make for the Lord. Because God takes your little bit and He does wonders with it. As I think about this build initiative. It's not really about um, a building being constructed. What it's really about is you and I being willing to offer up ourselves and following God's vision and offering up ourselves as, 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 a sacrifi- as a sacrificial service to the Lord and say, God, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to give, however you want me to participate in this, I'm doing it for you as an offering of worship to you. As God uses that, it brings great glory to his name can rejoice in, in your sacrificial service. The final thing the Bible says you can rejoice in here is that you can rejoice in your shared uh, effort, in your shared effort. Verse 18, the, the apostle said, for the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. 
It wasn't just Paul who could joy and rejoice. What he's saying here is all of us can. All of us are able to do so. The word joy here means to be glad. And the word rejoice means to take part in another's joy. And so what Paul was saying was, hey, I'm not just glad for myself that you're living for God, but I'm glad for you. I'm glad together with you because, listen, this doesn't, this doesn't just make me glad, but I know that as you live for God and as you give to God and as you serve God, you're going to be glad for it. Fact is, they could both be glad together as they did what God was calling them to do. I like what one person said. He said, Paul had a stake in the Philippians, and the Philippians had a stake in Paul. In other words, Paul had sacrificed his life and served them and taught them, and they in exchange had continued to support him financially and to pray for him. Hey, and everything God was using Paul to accomplish, they had a part in. And everything God was using them to, to accomplish, Paul had a part in. And they were able to rejoice together because of what they were able to accomplish for God's glory and, uh, and for God's mission together as a body of believers. And I'll say as each one of us as willingly obedient to poor out our lives in living and giving and serving to advance God's kingdom. We have great reason to rejoice in what God does through our shared efforts. Great reason to rejoice. One day, there's going to be a building over on that property. Church building, parking lot full every Sunday. There'll be a Christian school there. Our kids continue to get taught on Mingled truth of God's word, unmingled with the nonsense that this world is trying to push on our kids. The campus there with the gymnasium and ball fields where our kids will be able to come and enjoy life together. We'll be able to gather together and enjoy life together and use that facility for gospel ministry to reach our community. A big American flag at the entrance. I'm still here, they will be. Find people that we're thankful for the country where we have the freedom to worship God. See it? What we're going to accomplish in that place is the same thing we're doing here. I keep preaching the gospel and loving people and bringing them to Jesus. Long before we ever see it happen there, to make sure we keep the heartbeat of it happening here. As we look to the future, some of you, you may think, well, pastor, I'm too old. I'm never going to see it, so this is for somebody else. Paul's about to die two years after this, still pouring out his life so that other believers can move forward. I challenge you, don't have a limited perspective. And if, even if you don't get to see it yourself, can you see the people that will be reached? see the difference that it will make in other people's lives? Would you be willing to use what God has given you to advance the cause of Christ? God has really outlined for us how we can live the joyful Christian life, and it starts with just making some simple choices. The choice to refuse to be a grumbling, disruptive person. The choice to reflect Christ through your life, let his light shine through you, and as he does so, you make the choice to reveal Jesus to every person God gives you the opportunity to do so to. In the end, Make the choice to rejoice. All your struggles, all the sacrifices that you make for Christ, all the things that we're able to accomplish together, you rejoice because people are reached, souls are saved, lives are transformed, families are salvaged, and it's all worth it. It's all for Jesus. That's what we're after. May God help us to live that joyful Christian life together. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Our heads are bowed, our eyes.